and start looking at this. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to look at your word. We ask you to bless it, guide, and show us what you would want to see. In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to read the whole chapter again because we're still on chapter 1. We made it to day 4 last week. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness covered the earth, the face of the earth. And the Spirit of the Lord moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the, the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness, and God called the light day and the darkness night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. And God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters that which were under the firmament from the waters that were, went above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered to the heaven, be gathered to an, unto one place, and let the dry earth appear, and it was so. And God called the earth Land, the, land, the dry land earth and the gathering together of the waters called he the seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass and herb yielding seed and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass and herb seed after his kind and the tree yielding fruit whose seed was in itself after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven, divide the, from the day from the night, and let there them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. And he made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and to rule over the night and to, and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the fourth day. And God said, let there be water. Let the waters bring forth abundance of moving creatures that have life and fowl that may fly above the earth and, and, and in the open firmament of the heavens. And God created great whales and every living creature that moved which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind, and, law, and God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, and saying, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the waters in the sea, and let the fowl multiply in the earth. And the evening and the morning were the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth every living creature after its kind, cattle and creeping thing, and beast after its kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth after it, his kind and the cattle after their kind and everything that creeps upon the earth after his kind and God saw that it was good. And God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them and said, God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living creature that moves upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you of every herb bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth and every tree in which the fruit of the tree yields seed 
to you that you shall have be meat, and to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the heaven, and everything that creeps upon the earth, where, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat. And it was so, and God saw that everything he had made, and behold, it was very good, and the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So we've been looking at this, looking at the theological side of six days of creation. All right, very important for us to understand this is God said it, it's true. All right, now next week we will talk about scientific proofs for a young earth to show you that what we will believe from the scriptures is not something that is totally, you know, out and out in left field as many as we're accused so many times on it. But for last week, we talked all the way through to the creation of the lights, and we're going to look into this here. It's starting on verse 20. God spoke and told the oceans to produce fish, and he produced fowl of the air. And he told them, you are all going to reproduce after your kind. From this point on, even when we had the trees and, the, and the, God said they produce after their kind. All right, and this is a very important step. It is scientific. Everything produces after its kind. All right, if you grow an apple tree, you expect apples on your apple tree. If you grow a banana tree, you expect bananas. If you are breeding dogs, you do not expect to get cats. <laughs> okay, uh, but that's what evolution tries to tell us, that something can give you something that didn't happen before. Now, they will tell you it happens real slowly so that we don't notice it. But you know, you kind of notice that fur starts forming on the non-fur <laughs> fur baby and it, and it comes out with fur. You, we we kind of notice that. Now we have some of the kids that come out very hairy, but it's still hair, it's not fur, <laughs> all right? Um, but you know, we see this process that's going on and God says everything produces after its kind. It is what he has told us would happen. And so he created all the animals in the sea and in the air on day five, all right? So if you can think of any animal that flies or swims in the oceans and the waters, the day of creation was day five. On day four, he creates all the animals, all the insects, all those wonderful insects that we don't like. <laughs> he creates all of those on day six. And there again, he says, everything produces after its kind. Very important for us to be getting that principle down. All right? And so we see this happening, and God said everything he's created was good. All right? So again, anything that you can think of, if it's a land animal, it was created on day six. Now, I've had a lot of people who believe in evolution go, what about the dinosaurs? If the dinosaur is a land animal, it was created on day six. If it was a non-land animal, it was created on day five. All right, God created all the animals on day five and day six. All right, which tells you, you know, so pastor, you believe the man lived with the dinosaurs? Of course I do. People will go, well, the Bible doesn't mention dinosaurs. Of course it does. Dinosaurs was, the word dinosaur was created in 1800s. Before that, they would have been called uh, dragons. The Bible has dragons all through the scriptures. Dragons are great big creatures that terrorized villages. Sounds just like a dinosaur. If you had a dinosaur terrorizing your village, you'd want the government to get rid of this dinosaur. Okay? They would have called them dragons. All right? Job gives us a perfect description of, of, of uh, two different types of dinosaurs. In Job uh, 39 and 40, he talks about the Leviathan, 
fire-breathing uh, ocean uh, swimming animal that very much sounds like a plesiosaurus when you read his description. And he talks about behemoth, which is a very clear description of a brontosaurus-type creature with a tail the size of a cedar tree. Now, people will try to tell us that that is a hippopotamus, and if you have, a, if you have an NIV Bible, it'll tell you this might be a hippopotamus or an elephant. Well, I don't know how many people have ever seen the tail of a hippopotamus or elephant, but it sure, sure looks a lot like a cedar tree is a little, little brush at the end of a hippopotamus and just a barely longer brush at the end of, a, of an elephant. Here, that verse is not talking about an elephant or a hippopotamus. Okay, but when you start thinking about something that looks like a cedar tree, we think of something like a brontosaurus or something of that nature. But of course, the, they didn't live with men, so man could never have seen something of that nature according to science. So we have to go, God, you're true. Our scientists are not telling the truth. All right. Uh, if you want to see pictures of dinosaurs, just look at all the artwork that's all through the Middle East and Africa and then Asia. They've got pictures of especially... Uh, triceratops, there's all kinds of things that look just like a triceratops. Three horns with a great big horned area around it, but of course they couldn't see it. Right here in Arizona, we have all kinds of pictures of thunderbirds. Now if you see the thunderbird outside of its triangle with a, uh, uh, on it, you see their pictures of them, they look just like, um, yeah, pterodactyls. And pterodactyls had a hollow area in their, 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 in their skull that scientists say would sound very loud and create an echo chamber. And the Indians say that thunderbirds sounded like thunder when they howled. And the scientists have already admitted that pterodactyls have this great big horn in there that, and hollow area that resonance chamber. So it's kind of interesting when we think about this, well, how would they know if they had never seen? Because they were here for a long time. For many, many millennia, they were here with mankind. We have all kinds of descriptions of things out there that are strange, all right, in the old days, but they're always pushed down because people don't like what the history says. But do some research on that, all right? So then God says, as the crown of his creation, and he says in verse 26, and God said, let us make man in our image. This is quite a revealing section because God is speaking to somebody. Now, some people will say he was speaking to the angelic group. Well, God did not make the angels in his image from everything we can tell. The angels have servants. They are, they are not independent thinkers, except for Satan who rebelled. So who is the us that we are talking about? It's the same us that is referred to in Genesis 1.1 where it says, and in the beginning, God. And the word in Hebrew for God is a plural God that means one God. The famous statement in the, for the Jews in Deuteronomy that says, the Lord our God is one God, is the plural gods <laughs> are used there. All right, so even the Jews... Even though it drives them crazy, they don't understand it, that the plural word is being used for one God. Why? We understand it as the Trinity. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are one. They are separate, and they're one. We will never understand it. We will never be able to gra grab, gra grab hold of that and get it figured out. And I've shared this with you. I can go through, and we've done this at various times. We can show you all the verses on the Trinity. We will prove that there is a Trinity. And we still will not understand it any better than when we're done. I've been looking at it for 40-some years, 
And every time I do, I'm going, okay, God, I understand that you're Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that you are one, but I don't understand it. And you know what? I'm glad I don't. Why do I say that? Because if I could understand everything there is to know about God, my God is too small. All right? If I could say I completely, 100% understand God, I have just made myself God. I have to have a God who is bigger than me, understands more than me, is something I can't understand, or he's too small. All right? Very important for us to understand this. And then he says, we're going to make man in our image. Does that mean that God is a bipedal person up there with, with uh, two legs, two arms, a head, and two eyes? No. We were not made after his image in that aspect. We are made in his image as reasoning, emotional beings. And then we are able to think things through. And God speaks to us in just that way. In Isaiah, he says, come now, let us reason together. God doesn't just say, you're my servants, do what I told you to do. Now, he does expect us to do what he tells us to do. But he also gives us a lot of reasonable reasons to believe in him. You know, the creation story is something that is easy to believe in, and it fits into the mold of science when we take science, true science. And the thing about this, I tell people all the time, that the battle between creation and evolution has nothing to do with science. Because neither one of them are science. If you remember back when you were in school, the definition of science is something that you can observe and repeat. As far as I know, outside of God, there has never been anybody who observed the beginning of things. No scientist has ever started with nothing and created something. They cannot recreate the experiment. So this is something for us to be able to understand. The whole battle between evolution and creation is philosophical. We can look at the evidence and say which evidence fits the, my philosophy better. And I'm going to tell you, I've studied both sides of it, and evolution has no fitting of the scientific facts. Zero. Why did, so you go, why do they believe that? Well, most of them, most of the evolutionists will tell you they cannot accept that there's a God. So because they cannot accept that there's a God, they will grasp at straws to try to prove that there is no God. Why don't they want to believe in a God? Because if there's a God and somebody created everything and started everything, he has the right to make the rules. And if he makes rules, he should expect them to be followed. Why does the world not want to believe in a God? They don't want to believe in rules. There are many Christians out there, or so-called Christians, that say, well, I'm not sure I believe the Bible, so I'm just going to pick and choose what I want to believe out of the Bible. Then I'm sorry, you're not following God. If you're picking and choosing what you want to believe out of the Bible and or other religions, then you, are created, then you have just made yourself God. Okay, I get to be the ruler and figure out what I want to obey. Like that, don't like that, like that, don't like these nine pages. You know, and just tear them out and decide what you want to believe and not believe. You're not following God. You may not like what he says. There's many times when I read what he says and I'm going, God, I really don't like that. It's hard to live that way. But I'm going to try with your power to live that way. And it's very important because if I'm going, God, I don't believe this. I'm just throwing it away. We've got a problem. 
Every word in this book has to be true and valid in our life or it's a worthless book. Completely worthless book and we need to find something that we can live on and with. And this is why I've said many times, you know, I may not like what certain religion people in different religions believe, but if they live by that religion, I at least respect them. They're putting their whole trust and faith in their religion. They're wrong. I'm absolutely sure they're wrong. But I have respect for them. The ones I don't have respect are, well, I like a little bit of this Buddhism. I like a little bit of this Hinduism. I like these things from Christianity. And I'm going to make my own religion. I have no respect for that. Because they're not willing to put their faith on anything except what they want to believe. And that's a hard thing. You know, we need to be able to go, God, I want to believe your word. I don't like what it says. Tough. Truth is truth, whether we believe it or not, want to believe it or not. You know, I may not believe in, in, in gravity, but if I go up here on Windy Point and step off the mountain, I am going to fall. <laughs> you know, no question about it. I go up to the roof of the building and say, well, I don't believe in gravity, and I step off the roof, I am going to fall. And when I hit the ground, it's going to hurt. <laughs> okay, because gravity is true whether I believe it or not. This is very important for us to understand. God really does not care whether we believe or don't believe. It doesn't change the fact that it's true. All right? And so we want to, he builds us in his image. This is a verse that's important for us because if we are in the image of God, we have importance. What is one of the big things that is being attacked in today's world is how valuable is life. All the way from the idea of abortion, kill the baby in the womb because you don't want it, to euthanasia where you, you're, you're old now and you're dragging down, you're taking all your inheritance away from your kids, you, you deserve to die and you should die. Why is that important? Because Satan knows how important life is. God has made us important, and this very in truth is why life is important and needs to be lifted up. And we need to be looking at our life and people's lives. This is why we are to edify one another and treat one another with dignity and respect because they are, every person is made in the image of God. Right from the very beginning. That's the truth that we have. And when we forget about the image of God, which is why evolution is such a big deal, because then we can just say, ah, they're just a, a random accident of, uh, of uh, DNA choices that have happened to create a man or a woman. <laughs> and so there's no importance. You know, if we don't have God's word being true, then there is no importance to life. Life is cheap. And, when our, and we listen to this. The world is talking all the time about how cheap life is. From before, before that child is born, and that child is a child even before he's born, has a heartbeat within weeks, feels pain within weeks, and when they kill that child before that child is born, they have murdered a child. And that's a hard stand, and a lot of people don't like to hear it, but it is murder of that child. And it's important. God will forgive it. It's still a sin that he can forgive, but it is murdering a child. We get to the end of our life and we go, well, I'm in so much pain, I just have to kill myself. And I'm going to end my life. I'm taking something so precious from God because I don't recognize I'm created after his image. And that's a great sin. Is it going to send you to hell? That depends on your relationship with Jesus Christ before that. 
You know, we get to the end of our life with our parents and go, well, you know, Mom and Dad, you guys are really sick. You have no quality of life, and you're really, this, this hospital room is really taken away from my inheritance. You should be dying. You, you should de be dead. Let's help you get dead. And we, we kind of horrify us, but that is exactly what's going on in our world today. You know, that people look at life so cheaply, and because it is something that has just evolved out of nothing, so it has no importance. It is God's gift to us. And when we start looking at it as his gift to us, it becomes very valuable. And we're going to be able to treat others that same way. Why are we to treat others with kindness? Because they're made in the image of God. Every single person. Whether they're saved or not, they are in the image of God with all the respect of life that comes from that. And we want to keep that in mind. The only part of this creation that has this great a position is man. When he created man and Eve, woman, he created them with that image of God in them. Now we fell. We have fallen from that image. We have a broken image of God in us now, but we still have that dignity of being created in his image. Very important for us to see this whole process. Because the reason I do this section on Genesis 1 through 11 is for just these reasons. It lays down the foundations of everything we believe. All right? Genesis 1, God created everything. But he created man kind as special. It says, I am placing my image, my, and why were mankind created? To have dominion over this world. God created all of humanity to be in charge of this world. Be able to rule over the animals. Now, I, I know everybody loves their animals, and I kind of like animals. I just don't see them as family. I love animals, but you know, but God has allowed us to be able to domesticate and train just about every animal. It's amazing to me that they can train some of the animals they train. Uh, why they'd want to train some of the animals they train is another story altogether. But, you know, they, they put them in TV shows and, and, show, and all these things, you know, and they train just about everything. But, you know, we were created to have dominion. And this is the sad thing that Satan, when at our fall, took dominion away from mankind into his possession because he was able to make them bow to him. You know, and this is sad because this is why everything has evolved to where it's at today. Satan is trying to destroy anything that God has done, and he creates counterfeits. He's counterfeited religion. He's counterfeited uh, relationships. He's now trying to destroy every picture that we have that God creates in the beginning. You had dominion. Let's have you now tear it apart. And unfortunately, there are people who say, well, we've got dominion. We can just destroy everything. No, we don't want to be destroying everything. But we also have the right to say this belongs to us because God gave it to us, not for destruction, but for building up and to fixing. And this is something that we have to see. God created us with dignity and honor 
And this is why life is precious. All life is precious, but especially human life. Because human life was created by God in his image to be separate. You know, and we need to keep this in mind. When we deal with one another, we're dealing with people with a fallen image of God, but the image of God is still resident within us. We know right from wrong. Human beings know right from wrong. Right from the beginning. They may not do right. <laughs> they may not even want to do right. But they know right from wrong, at least initially. Now, you can sin so long and for so long that you forget right and wrong. You can forget that something's wrong. But there was a time when you knew that it was wrong. When you start becoming a drunk or, or, or a drug abuser, you know that you were doing wrong when you first start. You know, most of the time I hear people go, they take that first drink and they go, yuck, this stuff tastes terrible. And then before long, they're drinking it because all their friends are drinking it and they're continuing drinking. You might even like it after a while, I guess. Uh, I've tasted them once or, once or twice in my lifetime. I can't figure out why anybody drinks. I can't, you know, I tried a cigarette once and I can't figure out why anybody would want to put that stuff in their lungs. Uh, but, you know, we sit there and we go, what is going on? We can get used to anything. You know, you can get used to anything. If you take it long enough and do it long enough and you can get to the place where you forget that sin is sin, but there's still that point where you knew that it was wrong. And that is because the image of God, even though it's broken in us, is still there. And he's speaking to us and saying, okay, you know it's wrong. You know you shouldn't be doing this. And it doesn't matter. Pick your sin. It doesn't matter which sin you pick in there. You know, somebody who starts lying knows it's wrong to lie instinctively. But there are people who have told so many lies in their life that they no longer even think about the fact that they're, they're lying. And the joke is, you know, well, you, know you put it, anybody's name in there, but they, they lie so much that they, how do you know they're lying? Their lips are moving. You know, and there are certain people out there that I've known in my lifetime that if their lips are moving, I'm pretty sure it's a lie. Or at least a half-truth, which is a lie. All right? So, but they don't even think about it anymore. And this can happen with any sin that's out there. And we want to be careful about choosing wrong, making wrong decisions, making wrong choices, because we can get so used to the wrong that we no longer think that it's wrong. You know, we just keep doing it. We've left the truth behind, and we're living in lies. And when you live in lies long enough, you can't recognize the truth anymore. And this is something that's important. We are created in God's image. We cannot buy into the lies of this world that life is cheap. That happens around us all the time. You know, you know, it should break our heart when we hear about a murder or, or a suicide or an abortion or euthanasia. That should break our heart because that is a life that is ended prematurely that shouldn't have been ended because God gave us his image. We should be bothered when people are mistreated by other people consistently because that means the image of God is being run and drugged through the mud. It should bother us. And we should be trying to do things to help in those areas. What can we do to help people who are living in a place where they are being put down because of the image of God in them? 
Does this mean that we're going to say that sin is okay? Absolutely not. We're going to call sin, sin, but that doesn't mean we're going to not help people who need help. Okay? This is the thing about Christianity is we separate the actions of a person from the person. We recognize that a person's sin is not who they are. Our world does not recognize that as, it, as its general way of thinking. The, the person who does something is what they are, and they're not, they're not separated, and they don't understand the idea that we can hate the sin and still love the person. The person who's destroying their life in sin, we can hate what sin is doing with a great passion and tell them they need to change and still love that person, and the world doesn't recognize it because they cannot separate the two, and it's getting worse with every generation that passes. Satan is out there. He's counterfeiting everything. So what has he done with all the sins that God says are sins? He's starting to call them sicknesses. Okay? You're, you're no longer a drunk who commits the sin of drinking. You, have, you are an alcoholic. You have a disease that you can't help. You're not a thief anymore. You're a kleptomaniac. You just can't help yourself. And you could go right down the list of everything that God says is a sin and open up a psychology book and it's going to tell you that it's a sickness. Why? Because Satan wants it to become a sickness because if, it's, if somebody is sick, they cannot be judged for their sickness. That would be like telling somebody, well, you got a cold, you're, 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 there must be something wrong with you. No, I got exposed to some virus that I got, or bacteria that made me sick. Sin is not a sickness, and we as Christians need to hold that up. I don't care what psychology says about sin. It is still sin. Because the next step from that will be to make it acceptable and say, well, it was sin, now it's sickness, now it's okay. Don't believe me? Look at homosexuality. Sin, terrible, horrible thing. Sickness. Everybody now says it's okay, it's just a choice of lifestyle. God still calls it a sin and he hasn't changed his mind. He hasn't really written my Bible yet to show me that it's, that it's different. Okay, what do we do with fornication and adultery? We start calling it that person's just got a sexual uh, disease. They, got, they just can't help themselves. You know, I don't remember if you remember when Tiger Woods got in trouble, but he, they were coming out with this whole thing that he was addicted to sex. He just couldn't help himself. Okay, that is the whole thing about psychologies making every sin a sickness. Now, are there addictive qualities to sin? Absolutely. You do a sin long enough, you get addicted. And if you get addicted, you may have some physiological and sociological problems, but you caused them yourself by continuing to do the sin over and over and over and over again until you get to the point where you now have psychological problems. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that that's who you are, and it doesn't mean that it's going to be acceptable to God. We deal with this sin, and this is true no matter what our sin might be. You're a gossip. You've gotten to the place where you gossip so much that you don't even think about it as sin, and it's just every time you speak, you're a gossip. Not people like that. You know, every time they're around you, they're gossiping about somebody or something. You know, it doesn't have to be women either. It could be guys. <laughs> I've seen guys that are just as big a gossip as any woman out there. You know, that you get so used to it and so used to tearing people down with gossip that you don't even think about it anymore. You have to deal with the fact that it's a sin. The 12-step programs all are involved with one very first important step. 
You start out recognizing that you have a problem of, of a sin. And from a Christian point of view, they don't try to say it's a sin. But I'm going to say you have a sin problem. And you recognize, I've got a sin problem. <laughs> then I go to God and say, God, I need help with this sin. And then if you're really smart, you go to other close friends that you say, I've got a problem with the sin. I need your help. Hold me accountable for not committing this sin. Very important. We first recognize it's a sin. How do we deal with others? We recognize that they have a sin problem. They are captive to Satan in that sin. And probably, if they've been doing it long enough, cannot get out of it without God's help. And we come into them and we show them God's love and tell them that God can forgive that sin and that we're there to help them and get them repent and change their mind about that sin. This is the important area that we have. Repentance is so important. We need to repent. Recognize that we have a problem, turn away from it, and all of us have problems. I don't care who, how long we've been walking with God, how how good we may appear to other people, we all have sin in our lives that need to be repented of and turned away from. And how do we do it? I don't care what sin it is, it's the same process. You say, God, I'm a sinner, I, for, and I turn from this sin, help me get victory over it. How do we get saved? We go, God, I'm a sinner, I need help with you, I'm turning away from my sins, and I need Jesus to be my savior and cover it with the blood. How do I get victory over the sin? God, I'm a sinner, I'm turning away from this, cover it with your blood and then live in the power of Christ in victory. It is wonderful to watch Christians when they get on fire for God and they recognize that God is Lord and he is in charge and he expects me to be obedient and serve him. What a powerful message that is when we truly get out and serve him. We read the word, we worship him, we share the gospel message with others. And we find things in our life that need fixed, and we ask God to fix them. And the wonderful news on that is we will be fixing our life for the rest of our life. All right? Every time we think we've arrived, God will say, well, let me compare you to me. Because how do we think we've arrived? We usually go, well, I'm better than that person. I'm better than that person. I'm better than that person. I'm better. God, I'm better than everybody I know. I must be good. And God steps up and says, okay, let's show you the true comparison. It's amazing to me out at the prison that everybody's a good guy. Most of the prisoners are better than everybody else they know. They know all of the prisoners, but they're comparing themselves to the other prisoners, and there are many guys that are pretty good, pretty good guys out there, but they're comparing themselves. I'm better than everybody else in my dorm. All right, good, you're better than 200 other prisoners. I'm really, I'm really happy for you. But aren't we doing the same thing when we start comparing ourselves to everybody else that's walking on this earth? God, I'm better than all the other prisoners I know because we're all prisoners on this world without Christ. I'm better than all the other prisoners. And God steps up and says, but I'm not comparing you to the other prisoners. I'm comparing you to my righteousness. And when we compare to God's righteousness, it doesn't matter where we are, we're not good enough. And this is the whole thing. He wants us to come back to his image. He will help us get there. Now, having said that, I'm hoping that everybody is improving every day, every month, every year, every decade. We're getting more like God, 
more righteous. As we look at his word, he says, get rid of this sin, get rid of this sin, get rid of this sin. And I can tell you, for the most part of the people in this church, I recognize that those who are walking with God, coming to services, coming to Sunday, Sunday school and classes, I'm seeing the changes in lives. And saying, yes, you, many of you are not the same people you were last year, two years, eight years ago when I first started here. There's lives that are changing. And I praise God for those lives that are changing. But never get complacent with the changing in your life because you're never arriving until the day you die and God gives you your glorified body and you'll be perfect like he says we are. Until then, we're going to be being made perfect. We're being sanctified. Now, we can have big jumps. <laughs> we can have times where we make big changes and see big, change, big changes. But you know, when we walk through our life, the hardest thing for us is that the big changes are very rare. We oftentimes spend long periods of time where not much seems to be happening. Don't believe me? Read any of the stories in the Bible and start thinking about how much time goes by on those stories. We think, look at all that happened to Abraham. Yeah, four events that happened to him over an 80-year period, 80 period of his life. Wow, he, he led a real exciting life. Four events in his life made it into the scriptures. We look at, we look at people like Daniel. Now, Daniel had a pretty good life. We, we know that he was blessed, but you know, there's only a handful of his events in his 80 years of walking on earth that are recorded in the scriptures. What happened those other times? Just like you and me, get up in the morning, go to work, eat our meals, do something in the evening, go to bed. Get up the next morning, all over again, and then every once in a while our life will be punctuated by something exciting by God. The good news is, if we would start looking, we'll find that God's excited at doing things around our life all the time. We need to recognize the little things that God does in our life. You know, because that's where we're going to say, okay, God, you're still here. All right, God, yep, you're still here. Wow, God, you did this for me today? And then we celebrate those, and we mark them down and say, God, this is what you've done. But realize that most of our life is just like everybody else in this room. Most of my life is just like everybody else in this room. We don't, God, God is not doing big things. He gets me up in the morning, gives me his word, gives me a chance to speak to one or two people, and the day is over. And I get to go through that again the next day, and then the next day, and the next day. Now, if we're really looking at God, he can do more and more in our life, but it still gets to be a routine day after a while. And then he says, all right, now let me, let me show you who I really am today. And he does something big. But we have to be in a place where we're ready to see that really big thing. You know, we think we're going to get to it when, when the flood came. Noah was preaching for 120 years to the people that a flood was coming that was going to destroy the world. They didn't believe him. The day God closed the doors on that ark and the rain started falling... They started believing pretty quick, especially as the water started getting ankle deep, knee deep, hip deep, shoulder deep. <laughs> they started believing really quick, and it was too late. There is a place where we cannot be so blind to what God's doing that we don't see God working around us. You know, people, and maybe you've even heard it, somebody talking about how wonderful God has been, and you're going, well, I don't know about that. <laughs> no, there seeing what God is doing. They know what God's doing. Get excited with them. And ask God to start showing you what he's doing in your life. 
I love it when somebody says, I prayed this and all of a sudden this happened. All right, praise God. Or I was reading my Bible and look what God showed me. Praise God, I'm glad, I'm glad he's talking to you. you know, I had the top, I talked to this person and they got saved. Wonderful. God showed me that I needed to get this out of my life and I'm working on getting out. That's as even as big a praise as anything else because God is talking to that person and saying, clean up your life. It is important for us to build each other up and edify and encourage. The last thing we want to do is tear somebody down. When they're excited about Jesus, and I've seen people do it, people are really excited. Oh, wow, gotcha. Oh, yeah, you'll, you'll, when, you, when you grow a little bit, you won't, it won't mean as much. I love being around excited Christians <laughs> because they remind me that I need to be excited <laughs> about God. I love being around excited people when they're saying, look what God showed me in the Bible. My dream for this church is for us to come together on Sunday morning and not just have all the little chats going on, but people going, you know, I just got to show you. This is, what, this is what I learned in the Bible this week. That would tell me that our church has come to where it needs to be. God is sharing with people in the word, and they're so excited about it, they've got to tell each other about it. We spent a lot of time in a church back east where people would meet in their grocery store, and there'd be a Bible study in the middle of the aisle. Because people would be going, let me show you what, you know, I gotta, just got to show you what God showed me this morning. And they'll go, well, yeah, let me, i got to tell you what God showed me. There was an excitement about the word of God. You go to a birthday party, and there would be a Bible study. Because the word of God was so important to, to people. Is that the way we are with one another? Now, I have the great privilege. I'm the pastor, but I've been this way for all my life. I like to tell people about what God has shown me in the Bible. I used to drive my kids and, and wife crazy. I'd go, hey, you just got to listen to this. Look at this. Unfortunately, sometimes their eyes would glaze over as they looked at me and said, <laughs> yeah, all right, you, you told us yesterday or the day before. The day. But, you know, we need to get to the place where we're excited about what God is showing us. And be excited for that person. Even if it's something very simple and you think it's really simple, still be excited for them because it wasn't simple for them. But I'm going to tell you, some of my greatest lessons I have learned are from new Christians who are reading something for the first time. And they get excited, and they see things totally different sometimes than I have ever thought about it. And I know that it's not an earth-shattering you know, truth that they're giving me, but I've never thought about things the way they think about it sometimes. Be excited. Be ready to share what you've learned with other Christians. If you can't share it with a Christian, you're never going to share it with the lost world. Okay, if you can't share your testimony with, other, with another Christian or something that God has shown you in the word with another Christian, you are not going to share it with the rest of the world. And we're called, number one, to lead people to Christ. And then number two, disciple them. What does disciple mean? Teach them. If you've been walking with God for any length of time and you've been studying your word of God, you know more than that new Christian is going to know. You have somebody that you can disciple and teach and lead into the righteousness of Christ. Now, they may outgrow you at some point. That's, it is possible that they're going to outgrow you. But that's fine. Just find somebody else to teach. <laughs> you know, we all need to be discipled, have somebody speaking into our lives, and we all need to disciple other people. If you have children, your first obligation should be to make sure your children are walking with God and being discipled giving them God's word as much as possible. It's never too late. 
it really is never too late to start talking to them about God. Now you may have to, if you're, if you're older and they're older, you may have to be very gentle about it. But don't leave it alone. You want your children to be in heaven with you. And in our world, so many people will say, well, I'm a Christian. Well, why are you a Christian? Well, I believe in God. According to James, big deal, the devil believes in God. He's not going to heaven. What does it mean to be, be a Christian? We have completely turned our life over to God and made him our Lord and accepted his sacrifice and gift of salvation. But that means making him Lord. That means I'm going to change my life to be like him as much as possible and be obedient. Just to say I believe in God is not going to get me in the doors of heaven. Because Jesus will say, many in that day will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't die. And they talked about doing some great things, casting out demons, feeding the, feeding the poor and homeless and clothing the naked and going to the prisons. Things that many Christians never do. And he goes, depart from me, I never knew you. Because it all is making him Lord. Very important for us to understand how we're a Christian because there are many people, many people that don't know him. And when you know him, you know that you know him. You know, it's not even a question that, yes, I know him. He dwells in my heart. He is changing my life. He is speaking to me. And when you know Jesus, you have no doubt that you know him. If you ever have a doubt, start asking him, God, are you, are you really Lord of my life? And seek after him. Now, Satan is good. He'll try to make us doubt. He doesn't want strong, active Christians. If you're somebody who says, I'm a Christian, and all you ever do is sit in the pew and do nothing for God, Satan's not worried about you. you know, even if you are a Christian, he's not worried about you because you're just sitting in a pew taking up space on church one, one day a week. But if you get on fire for God and you start taking your beliefs out of your personal life and into other people's lives, Satan is not going to be happy. And you're going to have to face a lot of hell. <laughs> you know, but people go, well, you know, I, my message never gets rejected. You might want to look at your message. If you're never rejected, you might not be putting God in front of them and, and a salvation message in front of them. I get rejected a lot. You know, I get a lot of people that don't want to hear anything I have to say, especially at work. They go, no, nope, we're not talking about that topic today. Okay, see you later. I'm not paid to talk to you anyway about it, but I'm, you know, there's a lot of people that don't want to hear a word that I have to say about God. There's others that like to hear what I have to say. And there's others that go, no, nope, don't believe. Because God's truth is always true. And there's always going to be people who don't want to hear the truth. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love and care for us. Lord, we ask that today that you'll be with us. Lord, if there's anybody listening online or even in this room that don't know you, we ask you that today they will just pray to you, Lord, I am a sinner. I accept your gift of salvation and your sacrifice for me. Come into my life and be my Lord and that they will share that decision. And Lord, we just thank you for all of your love and your care that you died for us to forgive us of our sins. And we thank you. And Lord, for those of us that are yours, we ask that you give us the boldness 
and the excitement to share you with others. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.